Hi, friend. Welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is a show that's meant to help you remember who you truly are. I'm Ashley Stahl, a career expert, the author of the new book, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, and Design Your Dream Career. It's now available everywhere books are sold. And it's my honor to bring you guest conversations or even a solo episode with me every single week, all designed to help you elevate your confidence in work, in love, and in life. This is a place for you to reconnect to who you truly are, what you truly want, and to really heal from anything that is telling you that you are otherwise. Wherever you are, I am so grateful to be here in your ears. And I also want to give a shout out with so much thanks to our sponsor, Organifi. You can find them over at Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. And when you use the U-Turn checkout code, you get 20% off your order. They make the most magical elixirs, whether it's powders for you to get your greens on every day, really tasty, clean protein powders to add into your diet. I have them every single morning probiotic powders to help you really heal and strengthen your immune system so much more now let's get in to this week's conversation people only want to bring you in and pay for you if they know that you're going to say something that no one else can say right that you stand for a message that you have the stories to back it up but i will say a common misconception about people who think peripherally like oh i really want to be a speaker but i don't really know if i i can be one is that a lot of people don't think that they have what it takes to be a speaker because they haven't like climbed mount everest or gone through a near-death experience and you don't have to, you just have to have experiences and stories, or even just a knowledge of other people's experiences and stories that you can use to kind of embed the central message that you're saying. So anybody can become a speaker. We all have stories that matter and stories that resonate. But the biggest thing that I've seen that really separates one from the rest and cuts through the noise are the people who aren't afraid to have a message that's different. What's going on, U-Turn friends? It's Ashley Stahl here, and I have a friend, as usual, on the podcast to showcase her brilliance. We've got Haley Hoffman-Smith here. She is all about helping women showcase their big, brilliant ideas. She's young. She's successful. She's a professional keynote speaker and named one of the most influential female speakers by Forbes, um, all of the different things. And I thought, who better to talk to about a speaking career than Haley, because she, I I remember talking to her back when I just started kind of getting paid for it and she was really just hustling and crushing it. So it feels like it's just time for me to ask her for all of her gems, because I know there's some of you that even if you're in the workforce, maybe you think later in life, you want to do something with motivational speaking and you're not really sure how to, or maybe you want to do it now. So Haley, thank you so much for being here. Oh yes. I'm an avid listener. So it's fun to be on the podcast. That's so good. I'm (laughs) curious. I, I'm curious since like we kind of chat sometimes like what your impression is of me on the podcast versus in real life. Like, am I any different to you? No, you're the same person, which is the best <laughs> part. In fact, I feel like as far as our relationship goes, it's like I spend a lot of time with you that you don't spend with me because I'm always That's listening to your favorite. podcast. So I feel like I know you so well. 
<laughs> I mean, that's awesome. It's so funny. Like, I feel like whenever somebody like does like a, like a consultation or something and they're like, I've been listening to your podcast. I'm like, perfect. You know me better than I know you. And that's a, it's actually kind of a healing thing. Cause I'm like, if you're keeping listening, I'm emotionally safe here. Like you Aww, accept. Yes. You know? So well, you're emotionally safe here too. Yeah, I know. You you tend to have that ability to, with your charisma. I know that you um, recently moved to New York and um, and obviously with coronavirus, um, whenever this airs, it's still going to have had a huge kind of like disruption on your life, everybody's life. But you had just signed for modeling and all these different things. Like what has given you the courage, do you think, to be this person? And have you always had a feeling that you would be in the public eye in some way? Yeah, I always, always did. And the crazy thing about my story too, Ashley, that a lot of people don't know is that up until I was a senior in high school, I had the lowest self-esteem. I had no sense of direction, no sense of ambition. And that's really different from like people that I met when I went to college at Brown or now that I'm in the entrepreneurship sphere, meeting people like you who have just like always had a fire in their belly to do something. Uh, Cause it was like a huge revolution and transformation for me. But I always think it's kind of weird that even despite the fact that I had no ambition or no direction, I always kind of felt like I would be in the public eye or wanted to at least. Um, and then like on that, on the the note about the modeling agency and acting, I actually auditioned for a Disney channel when I was in fifth grade and was the only one in Colorado to get a call back. So, um, I was going after my dreams a little bit when I was younger, which was really cool. But yeah, so with the coronavirus, it's interesting too. So I moved to New York City on February 1st and I was there for five weeks only in my brand new apartment. And then I left to go to a bridal shower back in Denver where I am now and do a talk in uh, Nashville. And it was when I was on that one week trip and I had only packed for a week, mind you, that the coronavirus struck and I got a call from my best friend in the city and she said, well, our entire office is like being evacuated. We all have to go into mandatory quarantine because somebody here had it. So I like, you know, I thought I was going back to New York after a week and I didn't. But then that week, the next week when I was back in Denver, I ha- finally had my meeting virtually with this talent agency since I had moved out to New York City to do that and was signed virtually. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and so that's helping me too, with like the courage piece of there's so much that can be done in the shadows, so to speak. One of my favorite poems is by Rainer Maria Rilke. And it's basically like this letter from God. And he says, flare up like a big flames and make shadows I can move in. And I always remind myself of that quote, because it's like the, the more daring you can be, the more you can go after your dreams, the more things can happen in the shadows. And Mm -hmm. I think now is a really good time in general with the coronavirus and being in quarantine to still do these big radical acts of transformation and courage. And that doesn't always mean like going out there and, you know, trying to build your speaking career or, you know, writing a book or doing anything really, really big like that in the career sense. But for me, it's been smaller transformations. Like I completely changed my diet. I know you're super into your diet because I know you're having your plant protein smoothie right now. Oh my God. Um, oh, <laughs> I got morning vibes. I'm like, how does she know that? Oh yeah, I couldn't talk before we started, guys. Before we started recording, I choked on my a little bit. I have a camera in your home, um, but then I, I've also been doing morning meditation. So a lot of the times, like the big courageous acts that you can do for yourself and for your dreams, they start a little more beneath the surface than we've been taught, which is more of like go out there and like forge your path and pioneer your career. So that's definitely been giving me some more courage through these times. Wow. And I know that I I feel like a lot of people know kind of like at a young age who they're going to be on some sense, but then there's plenty of people who 
have no idea. They try on their career through the experiment of their career. They get clarity like, this is what I want to do. And so who do you think speaking is really meant for? Or what do you see? Because I know you've been on the circuit speaking and I unfortunately just started getting like really actually paid for this and I'm starting to have to cancel all of them due to the COVID, which is all good. You know, like I'm, you know, I got so many different projects on my plate, but it was like, I was really excited to step into that further. And so I'm curious what your take is on like, what do you notice about people or when you watch a talk somebody does that makes you think like this person has what it takes I know everybody's worthy of going after their dreams, but I know that there's a certain level of natural skill, charisma, or tact that you probably notice on certain speakers that are crushing it. Yeah, I'd say the biggest thing is that they have a different message from all the rest because you think of motivational speaking and there's a lot of people out there who, and I'm not trying to be rude at all, this is actually just an observation, are they're kind of like um, another chewed up version of like Rachel Hollis or somebody who's doing it really well. Uh, and they, instead of creating their own message and their own voice, there may be some fear around that. So they tend to, it's almost like they put the message in the washer machine. And so now it's like kind of the same message, but it's a little bit different. And I can always sense that. Um, some people like, for example, Jess Ekstrom is a good friend of mine. I started speaking after I took her mic drop workshop, which I recommend as a resource. And she was maybe the first speaker I've ever seen where like mic drop as a workshop title is like how I describe how it was when she spoke. And she talks about optimism and the power of optimism and how she did it through uh, her company called Headbands for Hope, where she donates headbands to kids with cancer. And it was that unique, like you think of optimism, right? Like optimism is such a common concept. Like we think about being optimistic all the time, but using optimism as a skill or a tactic in life, like that's a different approach yeah, it seems like it should always be beneath the surface, but when it's, it's just different than what anybody else does. And I also believe that's part of the reason there's so many reasons she's successful, but that's part of the reason why she's such a big name in the speaking world, because she has, she stands for something different. Like she gets up on stage and she says something different than any other speaker can say. And that's a huge part too, with booking things is that people only want to bring you in and pay for you. If they know that you're going to say something that no one else can say, right. That you stand for a message that you have the stories to back it up. But I will say a common misconception about people who think peripherally like, Ooh, I really want to be a speaker, but I don't really know if I, I can be one is that a lot of people don't think that they have what it takes to be a speaker because they haven't like climbed Mount Everest or gone through a near death experience. And you don't have to, you just have to have experiences and stories, or even just a knowledge of other people's experiences and stories that you can use to kind of embed the central message that you're saying. So anybody can become a speaker. We all have stories that matter and stories that resonate. But the biggest thing that I've seen that really separates one from the rest and cuts through the noise are the people who aren't afraid to have a message that's different which sounds obvious, but I I will tell you from the number of speakers who I know and have listened to, you hear the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing I've really tinkered with as a speaker, when I think about message is, um, first of all, I don't watch other people's talks very often because on one side, I want to learn. So if it's somebody that's out of my space, I'll watch it. But anybody like, I've never watched Rachel Hollis speak. I've never watched I don't know. Even when I wrote my book, I didn't read um, You're a Badass by Jen Sincero because somebody told me I reminded them of her. And I didn't read Marie Forleo's book either because somebody also said that my writing reminded them of her too. And so I've been trying to like drown out the noise. Like, do you have any advice for people listening? Like whether they want to be a speaker or they just want to like give a really good 
talk at work, you know, maybe they were asked to give a talk and they don't actually want to be a speaker. Do you have any advice for how they can kind of like clarify what is their message? Like, how do they reach into the bowels of their life? And like, pull out a pearl. <laughs> yeah, I love that you described it like that because it isn't going to be something that's just off the top of your head. Becoming a speaker requires a lot of self-reflection. But the biggest question to ask yourself is like, what have I learned from my life that I want other people to learn? And sometimes you can look for hints with this with like, what do you tell your friends most often? Like if you're giving a talk that's going to be career oriented, what do you advise your friends when they're going through a career, you know, issue? What do you, what do you tell them about what matters most in their career and what stories you have in your life that led you to that realization and why you stand the way you stand for it now? So the message part is definitely tricky, but something else that's helpful too is, for example, a really good speaker is Brene Brown, and she's got that Netflix special called Courage, which I recommend everybody watch. Have you watched it, Ashley? No, I didn't even know she had a thing. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, that's your assignment for the day. <laughs> but I will listen to really good speakers, and I'll see how they give the talk from like a very structural standpoint. So usually speakers start with a story, and it's like this funny story that draws in the audience, and everybody feels like they're BFFs right off the bat, which is really important when you're getting on a stage when people have no idea who you are. And then it's usually like inserting a few how-tos or something that's really strategic. And then there's another story. And just listen to somebody talk. And you can even go on like a TED Talk, for example. If you're going to give a TED Talk, look up the most um, watched and like most popular TED Talks and just have a notepad next to you and be like, okay, here they say a story. And then right after that, it leads into this. And then it leads into an overall message. And then it leads into some research. And then fill in the blanks for yourself. So you, you start at the top with, okay, what do I want the audience to walk away from, um, from this with, which can be different for every talk, by the way, right? Like I've given two Ted talks that aren't really have anything to do with my main talk. And then you fill in the blank from that. So what research lends its way to that? What stories from my life lends its way to that overall message? And what are the how-tos? And another note for the how-tos too is what do you want people to write down in their notebooks? Like when they're Mm -hmm. listening. And usually people write in bullet points. So it's like, okay, I'm going to take these bullet points and go do something about it. Am I going to give them like action tips? Or I'm going to give them really cool facts and like add stories to the facts to give it a little more pattern and texture so they understand the facts and why they matter more. But that process where they're filling it in rather than starting with a completely blank white sheet of paper is really helpful. And that's definitely helped me. And that's the number one tip I give to speaking coaching clients too. Oh my gosh, I love this. And that's actually something I was going to ask is you must be coaching on this because you're so clear on it. Like you're so much so actionable when you talk about it. Okay, I could ask you so many questions because (laughs) I myself, I want to help everybody understand how you got started because I think... That whole quote of like a rocket takes half of its fuel to take off. I don't even know if that's actually true, but I've heard that quote and I'm very inspired by the idea of that. Like, how did you take off uh, and move into where you are now with it? Yeah. So, another thing first I want people to know is that I had the worst stage fright ever at the beginning because I know some people want to be a speaker, but every time they get up in front of a crowd of five, they start to shake. And so they're like, I can never do this for real, but you can break through it. I promise you. So I had just graduated from college and a few weeks later, my book called Her Big Idea came out. And when it came out, I had heard like people do book tours and speaking tours. So I was kind of thinking about it. But again, like when I had given my senior presentation a month prior, 
I was shaking and like could barely get through anything just reading off a sheet of paper. So I was like, um, maybe something for later in my career. And then I was asked by the director of an entrepreneurship center in Ohio who had just read my book if I could come in and speak to the students. And I honestly didn't even know people got paid for speaking. So I thought he was just like inviting me to come in and talk with students and mentor them, which I'm all about. So we got on the phone and then he offered me money and it was way more money than I thought you could possibly make from speaking or for an hour of your life. And thus I was introduced to the wonderful world of speaking. And you'd think that based off of like my first time booking a gig like that and being offered money, I would be like, Oh, I'm going to go out and sell. But I had a very different perspective about it. It was more like I booked that talk for, I booked it in August for the following February. So I had like a whole fall and winter beforehand. And I just decided like, you know, my biggest thing is that I just want to get out there and share the message. I want to share what the, what the book stands for, which is the power of going after your big ideas and how much you learn about yourself in the process. So I just started contacting every single school. And I mainly focused on the Ivy leagues at first. Um, not only because I went to an Ivy, but because I really wanted to have credibility as a brand new speaker and be really young. And I basically just said like, can I come in and speak? And I didn't ask for any money. I didn't ask for any reimbursement for travel, which I know sounds kind of crazy, but I would, I'd put things together, right? Like when I spoke at Harvard, I spoke there twice in one week. And in the middle, I spoke at Northeastern because that's also in Boston. And when I spoke at Ohio that following February, I spoke at two other schools in Ohio at the same time. So it's also good to like stack it. Um, just as like a general tip, if you book something somewhere, see if you could book another college or company or whatever in the same city and say like, Oh, I'll offer a discounted rate since I'll already be in town. So it's kind of like act on this now and you know, someone else wants me. So (laughs) you should get on board. But I just did that throughout the entire fall and winter and never asked for a dollar, but I got in front of people. I got real and honest feedback about my talk. And a lot of times that feedback too, it's not just like people saying afterwards, Ooh, your talk was so good. I loved when you said this. It's also how the audience responds to what you say when you're up on stage. Uh, I learned how to pause at certain times or how to say certain things or what made the audience laugh or what made them obviously like ponder something or write things down in their notebook. Like I was taking all these mental notes when I was on stage, even if that stage was like a tiny classroom for a small entrepreneurship meeting to see what was resonating the most. And you have to get out there and try that. Um, And you also have to try it in these smaller environments too, because if you're standing in front of this massive auditorium, it's harder to get a sense for how people are responding to what you say. So that practice helped. Um, Building out my resume helped because then when I was reaching out to other places, once I was going after the paid gigs, I was able to say I spoke at all of these places. I was able to offer real testimonials from real students and also have media to back up my press kit. So pictures of me in front of the audience. Um, I was able to put together a speaking um, reel, even though it was just like filmed on an iPhone. It was nothing professional, but it was enough. Yeah, what? Hell yeah. I mean, that's oh, like, the <laughs> question. no, yeah. I just honestly, like, I'm listening to you and I'm like, yeah, this is what it takes is like, you're, you're self-starting you're and, and you know what you're talking about really Haley that I, I hate to use these words, but it's the truth of how I see it. We're creating the illusion and it's not an mm. illusion. Yeah. It's the truth. Like you're out there speaking but before you're wanting to get paid for it, which I think anybody could do this with a personal brand, like if you want to be a blogger, if you want to be a you know influencer, whatever, 
it's like you create the illusion first. So mm-hmm. if I was starting my coaching business, it's like, what's the illusion? Okay. And and the reason I call it an illusion is because I think, I don't know, spiritually, I just kind of think like all of this is all made up and we're all like playing this game of life in the physical world, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, okay, my illusion, if I want to be a career coach, looks like a pretty website, some nice pictures with me coaching clients and a bunch of free talks so that I can show the places I've spoken. And that's what you're doing and creating your one sheet, which is what you talked about. And you talked a little bit about this, but I want to go a little deeper. And I know I totally interrupted you. So feel oh, free to fine. pick wherever you were, but you had talked about, um, before we started recording this idea of like starting with the lowest hanging fruit and like speaking places for free, but it feels like even though you went to an Ivy league school, so for you, it might've been low hanging fruit to go talk at more Ivy league schools. Like those were already available for you. What do you mean when you talk about starting with low hanging fruit? Like, let's think of like Sally right now, who's like working remotely or sitting in her office or whatever. And she's like a customer service person and she wants to speak on service and like, and granted, like you can speak on anything just because you work in one thing doesn't mean you need to go speak in it. But let's say she's learning what's making customers totally light up and she's a top performer at work and she wants to start getting paid for this, doing trainings on it, whatever. What would be her low hanging fruit? Yeah. So low hanging fruit in that sense. And I don't at all think that I are low hanging fruit to, to, um, to me, but in the sense of it's a low hanging fruit when you're offering your services without any expectation. So the fact that I was like, can I come speak at your entrepreneurship program? Technically that was low hanging fruit because I wasn't selling anything. I was straight up offering. And a lot of times these places are looking for that free programming, especially at colleges. Like they're looking to fill up their calendar of like all their entrepreneurship program meetings or all of their panhellenic meetings or whatever. So offering in itself is a low hanging fruit right? Because you're able to just like grasp those. It, you're, it's more likely that you're going to get a yes. So for our Sally persona, it would be the same thing, but it would be at a company and it'd say, you know, can I come in and offer a, probably something shorter because I know companies to operate on this tight schedule. And so you, you have to, you have to make sure too, when you're taking people's time, which in that sense, it's like time that they'd get paid for, that it's going to be short, that you have a really clear, um, value proposition, and then maybe some research to back it up. And then again, I loved what you said about like the game of life, because it's so true. Like all of this is just like to build up that credibility, which is again, part of the game of life. So what can you use if anything from your life, from your experiences, even from your research that you can use for credibility. Because the biggest thing is like, why are you worthy of people's time? And I'll tell you right now, everybody is worthy of someone else's time. If you give it enough like thought and you know what you're going to say and you're, you're there with the right intention, but why you? And that's the, that's the biggest part of becoming a speaker too. That was hard for me given my background, which I mentioned of not having that self-confidence is like having to learn how to get on these phone calls or how to craft these emails of saying like, I am the person that you need to bring in to take these students time. Right. And eventually like take your corporation's money for my message. So it's also a a practice and confidence and knowing what you have to offer and knowing that your experiences meant something and that your research meant something, but yeah, for the low hanging fruit, it's just, where can I offer this as opposed Mm. to sell it? And that's Mm. more places than you think. Okay. So I love what you're sharing because I think a lot of people get really stuck on thinking like, I, I don't know, like for me as in career coaching with my job hunting courses, like if I had a penny for every person that said like, I have no contacts, like I don't have a network. It's like, yeah, that's because you didn't create it yet. Just like Mm -hmm. 
you're doing with your speaking career. It's like, you don't have any gigs cause you need to go create them. And, um, and so I'm curious, like, as you're talking about this, one thing I'm thinking about is like, okay, let's say that Sally has her message. Like for example, with leadership, um, I have a little sheet for clients who want to hire me as their speaker. And I talk about how my message for leadership is like, they don't work for you. You work for them. That's my Ooh. message. And like, how do you work for your team so that you get results from them? So let's say that that's one thing. And granted, leadership is not my top topic. Most people are hiring me to talk about fulfillment and stuff like that. But how does somebody define their audience or, or, or get their audience to take action? You know, like, let's say they have a talk at work or they want to be a public speaker like you are. How do people get that clarity? Because I think that can be really challenging. Yeah, definitely challenging. I'd say that's where it really goes back to that central question of what is it that you want the audience to do. And as far as being persuasive, um, again, I'll lend on the um, I'll lean on the advice about following the structure of what other people have done. So, for example, the Brene Brown one. Her entire message with the call to courage was about how important vulnerability and shame are in crafting your courage about going after anything in this life and daring greatly. And it's this powerful talk that's obviously intended to leave the viewer or the listener or the audience member feeling better than ever about going after their own dream in the pursuit of that courage and with that vulnerability and shame. And so the ways that she does that, she shares that research. So I think research is really powerful. Facts are kind of like another credibility noter. So it's like, oh, I've researched this and here's my breakthrough findings and here's why it should matter because of this poll or you know whatever it is. The more you can rely on that research, the more persuasive it is. But the research is frankly really boring <laughs> unless you also have stories that lend themselves to the research. So the stories can be really credible, especially if they're stories from your own life, um, especially if you're able to relate in some way to the people. So for example, for me, I had just graduated from college. So I was giving these talks when I was 22 years old and I'm talking to college students who are my age or just a few years younger. And I'm sharing my own life experience and my own story and they're able to see themselves in me. So if you're not necessarily like your ideal audience member, can you talk about someone that you found in your research or a past client or just a story that you've heard, a story that they can see themselves in? Because you're convincing them to take action, but they have to believe that the action that they're going to take is going to be fruitful. So then also go through potential questions or concerns that they may have about going after that action. And that's why it's also important to root it in your own experiences. Like go back to who you used to be. Like what were your concerns going after this? Like for the corporate thing with um, helping a team and what you're supposed to do to help a team, like what would be somebody's concern about carving out that extra time in order to build a better sense of teamwork. I'm not really sure. I'm not in the corporate world, so I'm making this up as I go. Um, So what would those main concerns be? And maybe you'll call people who you know very peripherally in the corporate world and ask them directly, like, what would your concerns be? And then how can you address those concerns? So you can also take it almost as if like you're a lawyer, <laughs> like you're presenting an argument essentially, um, which is cool because I wanted to be a lawyer when I was younger. So it's funny how that relates, but think about all of their potential objections. And a lot of them might be like subconscious and mental objections regarding their worth or if they feel like, Oh, is this message for me? And so the more that you can diffuse those objections with the research and with the stories to back it up and with whatever message you need to say, the the more likely it is that they'll walk away from the talk at the end with very few questions. And usually like you can answer the questions at the end of a talk or encourage people to reach out to you or they'll be like, okay, I'm convinced. Okay, this is great. 
Hey, U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but if you're anything like me working from home, this quarantine has got you craving some structure, and I've gotten so much out of committing to a morning routine. Every single morning that's looked like burning some Palo Santo, or sipping some coffee, journaling, and of course, making my protein shake with Organifi's vanilla or chocolate protein powder. I replace one meal a day with this protein powder. I just grab my Vitamix, I put in a scoop of their vanilla protein, frozen organic blueberries, a scoop of sunflower butter, and coconut milk into the blender, and boom! That gets my little candy-addicted five-year-old living inside of me so happy, feeling like she just started her workday with what tastes like a dessert that is somehow healthy. So if you follow me on the gram, you know that even when I try to eat healthy, I tend to have little snack accidents. And that's why I'm so grateful Organifi is now sponsoring the U-Turn podcast. It is so great to have their support. So if you are looking for some consistency and structure in your diet, I cannot recommend their protein powder enough. And they just upped our discount with them to 20% off. So just head on over to Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N and don't forget to use the U-turn code at checkout. Now let's get back to this week's episode. One thing you talked about with speaking for people to understand is compensation. Like I was absolutely shocked how much speakers get paid. And I kind of also get it because now that I've done a few huge keynotes, I'm like, wow, this is extraordinary amount of work. I think it's for me as a natural speaker, for you as a natural speaker, here's what I found. It's easy to be decent. It's hard to be incredible. Yeah. Like you have to put in the work and it's the incredible speakers that keep getting referred and building their career. So, um, what are a couple things that like actual tactics that you think speakers are doing that is making that people kind of cock their head and be like, they're incredible. Well, it goes back to what you said about the practice piece. And again, it's like, you can't practice in front of a mirror or in front of a camera in your own living room a hundred times and still have the same results as if you're getting out there and practicing in front of people. Because again, the best speakers know how to, and I use this word just for the sake of like, um, just for the sake of trying to say what I say and not for what it sounds like, but to manipulate the audience's emotions. Like, of course, you're not trying to be manipulative, but you have to hold the audience in the palm of your hand and guide them through the emotions you want to guide them through in order to get them to that end message and that end result. So you can't do that unless you know how audience members are going to respond. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's the thing too, is I, what I was telling you before we started recording was people never want to hear, go out and start speaking for free. But if you don't want to start speaking for free, like wh- why is it really that you want to get paid for speaking, right? Like then you're just in it for the money and people can feel that like speak because you have something to say that matters to you, something to say that matters to you so much that you'll do whatever it takes to share it with people because people can feel that authenticity. And I think that's what translates from speakers who did start you know, speaking for free and paying for their own travel and then um, ultimately started getting paid for it. People can feel that sense of like, you're saying this because it matters to you. You're sharing a story because it matters to you. Like you feel like the reason you are alive is to share this one central message and this one central mission with audiences. And Jess Ekstrom says something else in her workshop. She says like, as deep as you go with the audience is how deep they'll go with you. And so it's also like knowing how comfortable you are being vulnerable up on stage in general, because that also shows 
a different, it's different than like, oh, I'm up here because I'm an expert and I'm going to share this research because I'm an expert and I have all this credibility to, Hey, I'm here to actually help you. And I'm here to connect with you as another human. Like I'm willing to go deep with you and share that vulnerability. I love this. And for those of you listening, like I've found just from a compensation standpoint, cause it, I'm always from a career coaching lens. I'm like, this matters. I, I think a good keynote speaker, like starting out, I'm always seeing like something around like $2,000 to $5,000 starting. And then maybe like 5,000 to 10,000 if they've been at it a little while and they're getting bookings. And then I'm seeing a lot of like high level keynote speakers making more than $10,000 a talk. That's I'm one of them. And I find that, yes, you cannot be motivated by the money. And to be honest, like I work so hard on my talk. If I broke it down into an hourly wage, I would probably be making women up minimum wage <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, and like divided it up. Um, and kind of going back to what I was talking about, Haley, like with tools, like one of the biggest speaking tools that I'm learning to integrate is pausing, mm-hmm. like making an intentional pause because, um, it's hard for people to digest your words sometimes if you're just speaking as fast as I can. And as far as like people you admire as speakers and what it is about them you're admiring, I know you talked about Brene Brown. What else are you seeing on other speakers that you think make them so special? Like you mentioned Rachel Hollis, like what are they doing that you think is making them this charismatic and magical for people? Yeah. So another speaker I'll talk about here is Jeff Hoffman, who's the founder of Priceline and a mentor of mine. And I've heard him speak now twice and he speaks in a different way. So Rachel Hollis, if she goes out on stage, is very like pump up, like loud music, very high energy. And Jeff just has this quiet charisma about him where he tells things as if like, of course he's standing in front of this big audience, but he's telling it to the audience as if he's sitting down with one person over a cup of coffee and you've known him forever. So it's, that also requires, again, going back to this confidence piece, like being willing to show who you are up there. My boyfriend, Nate, comes to a lot of my talks and we actually have like a hand signal that he gives me if I'm not showing enough of my personality. Like when I go into kind of like the robot auto-tune of just like going through the motions kind of and seeing what I need to say. And so he'll give me like a little hand gesture to be like, okay, like show who you are a little bit more. And so, because I think also part of credibility, you think you need to get up there and, you know, sound very, very professional and very sophisticated. No, like people want to see you as a human and they want to talk to you as if you're a friend, uh, which also takes some work in itself, which I know sounds weird, but just to feel comfortable enough on stage that you're not so much doing it because you care what the audience thinks of you, but because you care so much about your message that you're willing to put it across, even if, not like if it makes you look like a fool or foolish in any way, but another one example of this is actually the first time I spoke at Harvard, I got up on stage and there was this man in the audience who was just like scowling at me and it was very intense. And this was like right when I started speaking too, right? Like I had just started my speaking career and it's funny. It was like a whole group of all of these high school girls, like 300 high school girls. And then clearly one of the girl's dads came and he was just looking at me like I was so stupid. Like I didn't know what I was talking about. It was actually, I actually have a photo of the audience and you can see the same look. Yeah. But I made an an intention when I, cause it kept bugging me at first. Right. And I, it's like all I could see. And then I was overthinking like everything I was seeing. If I sounded smart enough and I was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to completely show who I am at this talk. And I separated very quickly because I had to, it was kind of like a survival mechanism with this man in the audience and just completely shifted into Haley as Haley when Haley's talking to like Ashley or Haley's talking to another friend instead of like trying to come across as sophisticated. And that talk 
afterwards, the line to speak with me wrapped around the room. And Mm. I was my two TED talks that I've done since then, I was invited to speak at both of those from that talk. Like the amount that that talk like changed my life because I I decided up there to stop caring what the audience thought of me and just completely show myself. Like, I don't know what that man thought. Maybe he was just having a bad day and thinking about something else. (laughs) But now I like, I'm like, thank you for being in the audience and being that indicator to completely like switch into who, who I really am. Uh, and that's, that's the part that a lot of people miss. Like they, they, I don't know if you've ever seen that TikTok where it's like, this is me one week after listening to Ted talks. And there's like this whole like vibe or like, I don't know, like language or tone when you think of when people give Ted talks. And so I think we can kind of step into it as if it's like a character persona when we get on stage and we think there's a right way to be speaking, but that also bores people. And that also makes them not trust you. And then it also makes you seem like you're trying to seem holier than thou or like so much of an expert. But if you are really able to let loose and be like, I trust enough that my information is good and is rooted in research and it's credible and it's going to really help these people that I'm able to shake up how I'm seeing it and really talk to people as if they're great friends that I'm going to get really vulnerable with. Okay. So you're touching on something that I'm all too familiar with. I gave a really big talk. I think it was like, God, like maybe a year ago. And it was like, I think 4,000 people, 5,000 people. And, and I just, it was like all ages, all scenarios. And I was so in that feeling. And I always remind myself, like, if I'm thinking about me, I'm not in service. Like I'm legitimately Mm -hmm. Service and I need to get so back good. into service. And so I'm like, whenever I, I think of myself too long, I'm like, oh, okay, indicator for me to like get back into this. Um, wh- what other tips do you have for managing your nerves um, as a speaker? Because I have found that for me, it's not necessarily about the speaking as much as it is about nerve management. Because when I can manage my nerves, I can deliver. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's always like when you get up on stage is the worst, like right when, when they announce you're walking on stage, Oh my God, it never gets better, frankly. So what I do is I actually memorize every single word of the beginning, like three to five minutes of my talk, because I know I'm going to be the most nervous then. So I am able to kind of go into the like automated robot version of me. And that's again, like a survival mechanism. The rest of my talk, talk, by the way, is never memorized. I say it differently every time. So it feels fresh, but those first five minutes, I want to know that if for some reason I'm really freaked out that day, I'm not going to like forget what I'm saying on stage. The other part is to use those pauses really deliberately at the beginning. And whenever you pause, um, or, you know, like pause for emphasis or have a quote on the screen, take the biggest diaphragm breath that you can, like huge, big belly breath, just to calm yourself down. And the more of those huge breaths that you can sneak in at the beginning, the more you'll calm down. And then naturally, like by the end of the talk, I'm sure you know this too, like, you feel like you're okay up there. Like you've, you've kind of like moved past the ah feeling and in your fine now. So it's just about like getting there faster by calming down your body faster, because there's actually been times that I've given a talk and the entire time I've been breathing like those really short breaths out of my chest because I was so nervous and I never stopped to take a full breath. Cause I'm like, I just got to get through this. And I know I was talking so fast <laughs> during those talks. Mm-hmm. So make sure to slow down and take those really, really big, deep breaths. Um, and then also what I said about the memorization at the beginning, because it would stop yeah. you're standing up there like, what am I saying next? Yeah. It's, it's like, um, what you're really telling me, I think is something that I 
try to impart as much as I can to clients, which is know yourself. And it, and it, I say, know yourself across the board, like know yourself when you're scheduling your day out and you're trying to be productive, know yourself when you think you put an hour on your calendar to write something, when you know, it's going to take you three hours because one hour you're walking around the house in circles, like know yourself. And so for you to go up there and be like, I'm going to memorize the first three to four minutes. It's just, you're knowing yourself and I'm actually exactly the same way. So it's really comforting to hear that you do that. I want to ask you a little bit about pitching because I think some people right now, maybe they don't want to be like, you know, really picking up the pace as a motivational speaker or any sort of speaker, but they think, you know, they're sitting at their job right now thinking, you know what, I think it would really position me in a good way with my law firm, with my marketing company. If I had a couple talks on the calendar, even if I was speaking for free, or maybe I got on a panel, like how do you create a compelling pitch that gets the response? Yeah. So something else just actually brought me, probably we should just have her on the show, but she's a great friend of mine and has been a good mentor. She shared this with me on a phone call and she said, how is your pitch slash like that first email creating this like hair on fire need for you to come in and speak? Um, so, so for my talk, it's about you know entrepreneurship, post-grad and why it's so important to go after your big ideas and the adventure that can result from it with my own crazy entrepreneurship story. And while that's all well and good, and it sounds really inspiring, like you can have the most inspiring message in the world, but people want to know why it's so necessary that their employees or their students or their organization needs to hear it. So if you're able to back that up with some type of research, like 87% of college students feel anxiety about their post-grad plans, or they like feel some regret around taking the, whatever you can find. I don't even know if that's real. So don't quote me on that. Um, <laughs> this is the that I just said. But the more that you can say, like, this is something they need right now. It's timely because of X and, you know, here are testimonials and here are past places I've spoken that have basically proven that I've gotten the job done and helped people solve that problem that they're feeling right now or the problem Mm -hmm. that you're feeling right now. So the more that you can base it in that need and that problem, the better. Also short and sweet and put most of like the meat of who you are in a press kit. So my press kit is basically like a glorified business card that says everything I've ever done and everywhere I've ever been featured um, on all of my accomplishments. And that also feels better in a press kit. So it's not like, hello, I am Haley Hoffman Smith and I have done all of these things. (laughs) And so like the email itself is more oriented in like the value and the problem you're solving and like why, why you feel drawn to, you know, speak it wherever you're speaking. If you have like, if your parents went there or Sometimes I'll also look up somebody's LinkedIn and see where they went to college or just see if I can, you know, strike any type of chord with them. Like if they also have a golden doodle or whatever, just to feel like they're friends on the equal footing, which is just like hold email 101, then go into the value of it and then attach the press kit. And of course you, you should sprinkle a few things about your credibility. So for, so they'll want to look at the press kit, but the more the email could be about the value and the press kit about your accomplishments, the better because then it kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. And you know, I feel like you are the queen of lead generation with these talks. Like my strategy with speaking for a long time has been like, I think it's more because I have like other things I'm working on my business, but I do love speaking is like, okay, people will reach out and I'll do those ones, but I haven't really like pursued. And I think there's such a magic to doing that and like taking the reins of your career and creating what you want. And so I'm like, what recommendations do you have for people to turn one opportunity into more than one opportunity. Cause I feel like this is something you so get. Yeah. So one thing that's been helpful for me is to include in my contract that part of the agreement 
is that they'll introduce me to another school. Now, this hasn't always happened. People usually just sign a contract without reading the fine print. But circling back after you give a talk and saying, like, is there someone else you'd want to refer me to, like another place? Because a lot of colleges talk with each other, and I'm sure some companies do too. Like, can you refer me to someone else? Uh, And then again, what I said about the location piece. So when you're traveling, how you can reach out to other places that are nearby and let them know that you'll be speaking there because that automatically carries some credibility. And then in general, just building that network. So I, I think it's important to you to consider like re- repeat talks at certain schools and have a really great relationship with, I'm sorry, I keep saying schools and I know people listening might be also like interested in corporate well, speaking. But, okay, good. So companies too, right? So who, who's your POC there? And are you going to, you know, make that extra effort with them to actually establish a friendship and a relationship? So you stay top of mind when they're talking to someone else and you could, they could possibly refer you or when they're looking for a speaker for next year. Um, and then another thing on that note too, is like, obviously you want to leave the best impression possible. So things that you can do beyond giving a, a great talk, um, are staying longer than you're expected. So I will stay in a room and speak with students for like two hours after my talk. I really will. And sometimes I've had coaching clients ask me like, oh, well, shouldn't I charge extra if like they want me to come to lunch and talk with students after? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Because then that makes people think you're nickel and diming them. Like if you're really there because you care about your message and what you're trying to say, like go to the lunch or spend that extra time with students or offer mentorship sessions or whatever feels good to you with your schedule. But going above and beyond that call of expectation will always make people feel like you were really good, you know, value for your money, which obviously you were in general, but the more people can feel like, wow, this person really cared and they had really valuable messages that too extends to like, I've had students then turn back to their entrepreneurship professors or program directors and be like, Oh, I started this because of Haley. And maybe they wouldn't have started it just from my talk. But because I actually like took the time to sit down with them and talk them through how they could start their business, right? So you add that little extra emphasis. So what you say has more of a value and more of an impression beyond your actual talk. I love this. Okay. So you, you clearly have been at this for so long and I know there's probably plenty of people here who might want some coaching. Like, can you talk to me about like how people can get in touch with you, follow you, learn from you, all of that? Sure. So my Instagram is Haley Hoffman Smith. And so is my TikTok. (laughs) Ashley, do you have a TikTok? (laughs) No, I, I started TikTok and I was like, I can't do this one, but I see how good you are doing on it. And I feel like I I legit like opened up my app for the first time to watch you because I saw on your story that you were TikToking and crushing it. And I was like, what is she doing? And it looked like a really good Thank you. That's sweet. Well, that's another little tip I want to sneak in here though, is that TikTok is that one social media platform where it doesn't matter if you have zero followers or a million, you can post a video and potentially get a million likes. Like that's how the algorithm works. It's like the ultimate democracy. So uh, people also want like social proof and credibility in that sense for speakers and a good way to just get that exposure or to build up an audience even more is to go on TikTok. So just a little plug there, but also my TikTok is also Haley Hoffman Smith. And then if you have any direct questions about speaking or you're interested in getting some help around your talk and or building your pitch or your marketing materials, my email is Haley at herbigidea.org. And I'm also more than happy to just offer like advice or to read over somebody's like press kit and let them know if they, they should change anything. You're such a little angel. Thank you so much for coming on to U-Turn. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. In the meantime, if you heard about any resource that you're interested in from one of our guests, you can find it listed in our show notes on the podcast tab of my website, ashleystahl.com. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com. On that page, you'll also see our free quiz to help you discover what career path you're actually meant for. And of course, we cannot thank you enough for written podcast reviews. I read every single one. I get so motivated from reading your words and it just means the world to me that you take a moment if you have an Apple device and you write an actual review for me. Thank you so much for doing that. Appreciate you being here and cannot wait to connect with you next week. Thank you.